Today's message is called Let God Carry You, and it's the last message before we get into the new message. And we've been going, we've been unpacking Psalm 23, which is one of the most famous, if not the, the most famous chapter and verses in the Bible, Psalm 23. It's called The Good is, the Lord is My Shepherd. And I want to read it to you this morning. Uh, Psalm 23, verse 1, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, as I read this to you this morning, I'm going to pause this moment because remember I started by telling you that God is here right now. And I'm not reading these words to you. His Bible is his living word. And as such, you should take that as if God is telling you these words right now. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. amen. So today I want to talk to you about the God of the hills and the God of the valleys. But before I do, uh, anybody want us, you know that part where it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we just sang about it. How many of you thought that Coolio and Gangster's Paradise wrote that? Anybody? Okay, me either then, forget it. <laughs> There's a story in 1 Kings, and I just love 1 Kings. If you guys like just war stories and kingdoms and how they come, uh, you guys should read 1 Kings and 2 Kings. But there's this, this story recorded in 1 Kings about the God, the God of the hills and the valleys. And about 2,900 years ago, there was this king of Israel, his name was Ahab, and the Syrian army decided that they wanted to dispose of this king, so the king of Syria lined up 32 nations, 32 allies, and they came against Israel. And like so many times before that, we, we see and we hear that God miraculously gave Israel the victory, right? And they soundly defeated the king of Syria and his 32 allies. Well, the following year, the Syrians decided that they were going to try it again and that they were going to come back and try to take over Israel. But in reviewing the previous battle plan, as rightfully they should, from a year earlier, all the Syrian generals got together and came up with a different plan. So let's pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 23, where it says, The Syrian military advisors, meaning the generals, went to their king and explained, Israel's gods are the gods of the hills. And the last time we fought them, which was a year ago, and they, and they lost, we fought them in the hills, and that's where they defeated us. That was the rationale, you see. And then they said, but if we fight them in the valleys, if we fight them in the plains where they are weak, we will defeat them there. So they changed their plans and they said, you know, their God protected them in the hills, but we'll beat them in the valleys. So they adjust their battle plan and they bring this huge army back to Israel. In fact, the Bible in verse 27 tells us that the Syrian forces covered the whole countryside, but the Israelites looked like two little flocks of goats. So you guys can see that there's this big imbalance here. There, there's about, about 100,000 troops on the Syrian side, and there's about 7,000 on the Israel side. So it's going to be a slaughter. The defeat looks inevitable, but God has something to say, as he always does when we go into battle in his name. And in verse 28, this is what God says. Because the Syrians think that I am only the God of the hills and not that I am the God of the valleys... I'm going to give you victory over this huge army so everyone will know that I am the Lord. Folks, 
aren't you glad that we serve a God who is not just the God of your mountaintop experiences, but also a God of all of your valleys too? Oh, man. Dios mío, por favor, ayúdales a esta gente. Amen. Gloria a Dios. Aleluya. You know, God says, I'm not just the God of the valleys. He says, I'm not just the God of the good times in your life when everything's going smooth, when everything's awesome in your life. I'm the God of your valleys too. I'm the God in your times of darkness, despair, defeat, discouragement. He says, I am there too. And the valley in scripture literally means a valley, which is, which is this low area of land between hills and mountains. It means a plains like a gully. But we also know it in our lives as a metaphor for difficult times. And the Bible talks about all different kinds of valleys. And when you're in the mountaintop experience, we know that, that the view is awesome from up there, isn't it? But we also know in our lives, in your life, in my life, that those are few and far between. And here's what we know about valleys. First thing we know about valleys is that they're part of life. In other words, they're, they're inevitable. You, you can't avoid them. They're going to happen. And I know that sounds a little depressing this morning, but that's our reality. The only question is not if you're going to go through a valley, it's when. So some of these include disappointments and distractions and despair and depression and on and on. Valleys are part of life. In fact, Deuteronomy says this in chapter 11, the promised land you're about to enter is a land of hills and valleys. Now, remember, God told this to the Israelites before they went into the promised land. Metaphorically, this means that even when you're in the center of God's will, even when God tells you you're about to enter the promised land, that promised land is full of hills and it's full of valleys. It's not all mountaintop experiences. And 1 Peter tells us that don't be surprised when you're tested by troubles or painful suffering as if something unusual is happening to you. He says, don't be surprised, meaning they're part of life. The second thing we know about valleys is that they happen to everyone. Meaning that everybody, they, valleys don't discriminate. Good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people because valleys are impartial, you see. And in Psalm 34, it says that the good man does not escape all troubles. He has them too, but the Lord helps him in each and every one. You know, I've heard a lot of people say, I have, when they have problems in life, they say, you know, God must be punishing me. And I have to tell you, God's not punishing you. We just live in a broken world that's fallen, and so we have problems. That means no one's immune. No one's insulated uh, from, from pain and sorrow. I mean, we all go through life with problems. In fact, Matthew tells us that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. So everyone goes through the exact same things in life. You are not exempt as a Christian just because you're a believer in Christ. That's where you can say, come on, you know, that. Anyway, not only are the valleys inevitable, they're impartial, but they're also unpredictable. And that's really important to us because that's really what, what makes some valleys, right? That we can't, count, we can't predict them. In fact, your valleys, your problems, they, they usually come at the worst time. We're unprepared when, when it's inconvenient. And I mean, wouldn't it be easier if we can just schedule all our valleys? But it doesn't happen that way. We know that. And have you guys ever noticed that uh, a good day can quickly become 
the worst day in your life? One phone call? One disaster? One accident? They, they all come quickly. None of us know what's going to happen this evening, let alone tomorrow. In an instant, everything can change. And Proverbs tells us that don't ever brag about tomorrow since you don't know what the day will bring forth. And this morning is all about valleys. And I don't know what kind of valleys you're going through right now, but the Bible gives us so many examples of the different valleys that we're all going to face. And I want to share a few of them with you. And I want to share those valleys with you because it's important for us to first, for us to recognize those valleys. And if we recognize that they're going to happen to us or we're going through them now, then there's something we can do about them. We can be prepared for them. And how do we get prepared for them? There's some things that we can do much about, that we have no choice in the matter. We can focus on the valley, but I'm here to tell you, as the title of this message is, so that we can recognize them, be prepared, and hand them over to God. Just like we sang about this morning. Whatever we're going through is that we just let God carry us by just saying, God, you know what? You are the God of the valleys too. And so here they are. The first one is the Valley of Siddim. Now, the Valley of Siddim is found in Genesis chapter 14. And if you like war stories, like if, if you guys read the, the Lord of the Rings or you've seen the movie, you guys recall this epic battle that, that involves the, the Battle of the Five Armies. In fact, that's what it was called. It was the Battle of the Five Armies. Well, before Israel became a nation, there was the Battle of the Nine Armies. And you see, four armies came against Israel. And although Israel and their allies had five armies, their enemies had only had four, but they were still bigger. And in Genesis chapter 14, it says, Then the four kings of Shinar, by the way, Shinar is now called Babylon. The king of Babylon, the king of Elsar, Elam, and Goim, these four kings went to war against the five kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I think some of you guys have heard of that. And three other cities. The five kings joined forces in the valley of Siddam, which is now the Dead Sea. And you guys remember fire and brimstone wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah? So that's now called the Dead Sea. Continuing on, it says, For 12 years they've been oppressed by other kingdoms. So in the 13th year they rebelled. And then it says, But in the 14th year their oppressor recruited his allies to team up and conquer the land. So the nine armies fought in the Valley of Siddam. And here's what I want you guys to hear carefully in this, this next verse. This is how it, it affects us. Verse 10, it says, Now this valley is full of sticky tar pits. When the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah tried to run away from the battle, they slipped and they fell and they got stuck in the pits. So the invaders plundered the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and they took everything they had. They also captured Abraham's nephew Lot who was living in Sodom. So how do you end up in the valley of Siddam? Well, you do exactly what these kings did. You run away from something. You get stuck in the process. And can, can, can anybody relate to that? Has that ever happened where you run away from something and then you feel like you're stuck? You see, Siddam is the valley of failure. And we know that we're all going to have failures if we run away from responsibility. What happens when we do that is we slip, we fall, and then we get stuck. And the question for us this morning is, are some of us, are some of you in the Valley of Siddam today? Meaning, what are you running from? You know you need to face it. Maybe it's that conflict, that confrontation. What are you running from? What is your dark, slimy tar pit that you're afraid of? 
For some people, it might be a bar. Sure, there's a few last night there. For some people, it might be a nightclub. For some people, it might be the computer. For some people, it might be a hotel room when you're traveling. Sodom and Gomorrah weren't exactly family-friendly cities, and I know we have a few of those cities today. The Valley of Siddam is one of the valleys you'll probably go through in life because we all fall flat on our face sometimes. I know I have. It's probably happened to you and you can relate. And the other valley that we'll likely face in life is the Valley of Eshkol. Eshkol is a valley that is found in Numbers chapter 13, and it's a story of when Moses sends the 12 spies to find out what the promised land looks like. I think you guys remember that story well. You know, Moses, you know, wants to go into the promised land, so he chooses 12 spies, 12 scouts. One of them is Caleb, and the other one is is, is Joshua out of the 12, and, and these 12 go in, and they scout out the land, and they say, you know, yeah, it's a great land, but we have some problems there. We're afraid of the people that already live there. And their anxiety and their tension gives this majority report. So 10 people say, you know, don't even try it. And only two, Joshua and Caleb, actually say, hey, we could do this. We can win this battle. So let's pick up that story in Numbers chapter 13, verse 23, where it says, Then the spies came to the valley of Eshkol. The fruit was so abundant that they cut off a grape branch, which had a giant cluster of grapes on it. But it was so large and heavy that it took two men to carry it back on a pole between them. They also brought samples of beautiful pomegranates and figs. And as we skip to verse 27, it says, This was the report to Moses. It is indeed a magnificent country, talking about the promised land, rich, fertile, and here's some fruit as proof. But the people living there are powerful, and they're stronger than we are, and they look like giant to us. And then notice this verse. In our eyes, we felt the smallest grasshoppers next to them. Folks, that's what you call an inferiority complex. Remember, these guys have this slave mentality. They've been enslaved for over 400 years. So they really don't know how to handle all of this, this new promises. So you see, Eshkol is the valley of fear. These guys have to make a decision. Are we going to go in and, and take what's rightfully ours? You know, God has given it to us, or do we back off in fear? Do we back off because we doubt God? In the valley of fear, you either move ahead or you give up. And the fact is that that these guys, I'm talking about the the Israelites, were in Sinai for over a year at that point. I mean, they had lived in exile in the desert, and God didn't tell them that they had to stay there. It wasn't God's choice. They had sinned, yet they stood there for 40 years. They had just been moseying around, and they came failing all these tests that God sent their way. So I want to ask you this morning is, are some of you guys in the Valley of Eshkol? A place where you're afraid to move forward. And you've known for a long time that you should be moving forward. You should move forward in this area. You know that God's already told you to do it. He's opened up the doors for you to do it. You want to do it. You know it's the right thing to do. But somehow you just haven't done it. That means you're in the Valley of Eshkol this morning. And you, 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 you want to know how you know if you're in the Valley of Eshkol? Analyze whatever valley you're going through right now. And if you see it as an obstacle, or do you see it as an opportunity? 
You know, two of the spies saw it as an opportunity. It's a promised land. They said, let's go for it. God is on our side. But 10 of them saw it as an obstacle, a huge obstacle, and they failed the test. And as a result of that, they had to spend their life 40 years in the desert. And none of them, it says, but their children did, but none of that generation actually got to inherit the promised land because they were afraid to move forward. So analyze your valley. Are you afraid to move forward in whatever situation you may be in right now? Another valley is the Valley of Elah. Now, we find this valley in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and this is really a well-known valley, and you'll recognize it when I read it to you because this is where a boy named David met this giant named Goliath. And I know you guys know the story well, and the Philistines and the Israelites were in the Valley of Elah, and they're poised for battle, and this is what it says in 1 Samuel. Saul and the Israelites camped in the valley of Elah, and they drew up a battle plan to fight the Philistines. The Philistines and the Israelites each stood their ground, shouting and taunting each other from opposite hills, with the valley of Elah between them. Now the Philistine army had a giant champion fighter named Goliath, who was about nine feet tall. When Saul and the Israelites saw this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Now David, he's a shepherd boy, He's lived with God his entire life. He's trusted God his entire life. In fact, the whole reason we're in this series in Psalm 23 is because King David, this little shepherd boy, wrote this Psalm 23. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He wrote that. So he comes up, and in 1 Samuel uh, verse 32, he says, don't worry about a thing, David told Saul. I'll go fight the Philistine." While everybody else in this army is scared to death of this giant, because you see, this giant comes down every single day, the Bible tells them, and he taunts and, and he shouts to the Israelites and, and he calls them all kinds of names and he says, you guys are a bunch of wimps. You don't deserve to be here. You will never amount to anything. Uh, does that sound like some of the things we've heard growing up in our life from somebody? And then he says, you know, how about, this is, this is Goliath. He says, how about... One of you, you guys send your best, one of your best warriors from, from the Israelite army, why don't you guys send your best and we'll do this mano a mano thing, which by the way, I, that's my translation, it's not in the Bible. You send out your best and you fight me and whoever wins becomes a conqueror. Pretty easy, right? Well, you see, Elah is the valley of conflict. And in this valley, you're going to face giants. You're going to have opposition people in your face, you're going to have an opponent, you're going to be challenged. And some of you this morning are in that valley, the valley of Elah. And look at what 1 Samuel says, the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley of Elah between them. And I can't help but think that that describes maybe some of relationships here this morning. Maybe somebody's marriage where you're standing right here and holding your ground and your spouse is standing right over here, and you have the Valley of Elah right in the middle, and neither of you are giving ground to each other. That means you're in the Valley of Elah this morning. There's another valley that I want you to be prepared for, and that's the Valley of Baca. And this one is mentioned in Psalm 84, and I really like this one because it comes with a lot of hope. And, you know, the word Baca actually means weeping. And ironically, the Valley of Baca was this desert. It was this dry, dusty, arid wasteland. And if you wanted to go to Jerusalem as a pilgrimage, you'd have to go through the Valley of Baca to get there. Now, this valley is a metaphor, but when 
For when you're going through a dry time in your life, when all your joy has dried up, maybe you're grieving, uh, maybe you're just weeping in the valley of weeping. Now, nothing grows there. Nothing's productive. There's no fruit, just, just tears. You're in the valley of weeping. Psalm 84, it says, Blessed are those whose strength comes from the Lord as they pass through the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping. They make it a place of springs. You know, talk about irony. All of a sudden, water shows up. They're passing through this dry valley of Baca weeping. And it says, They make it a place of springs, and the autumn rains cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength, growing until each appears before God in Zion. Now, I want you to notice that first, the Valley of Baca is dry. And that's where there's no feelings anymore. You know, you, you don't feel close to God. Maybe you don't feel close to your spouse. You don't feel close to anybody. You feel all dried up. There's no emotion. In fact, you're just going through the motions. You know, it really describes depression, doesn't it? You're grieving, you're weeping. And that means that you might be going through the Valley of Baca this morning. But the kind of people this scripture tells about, the kind of people that God wants us to be, is the kind of people that would make those dry places in our lives a place of springs. That water comes when we show up. That's the kind of people that God wants us to be this morning. That we would go from strength to strength, meaning that God wants us to go from maturity to maturity to the next level and on and on. And as we grow in our strength to strength, we will all appear between God and Zion. That's amazing to me that, that he gives us that hope this morning. You see, the valley of Baca is the valley of grief and barrenness. It's grief and barrenness. And the hope that the scripture gives us is really all about our faith and our relationship with Christ this morning. You see, faith can turn a dry place into a place of springs where you can find refreshment, when you can find what God wants you to do in your life, even in those valleys of grief, even in those valleys of weeping, God wants to use those tears to water your dryness. In fact, William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army, the Salvation Army was started back in England, and he sends this guy over to the U.S. to start it here, and the guy was trying to reach people in the community for God, and he kept saying, he wrote back to him and said, you know, I've tried everything. I've tried prayer, I've tried music, I've tried services, I've tried special attractions, and no one's interested in hearing the good news. And you guys want to know what William Booth wrote back? He wrote back two words in a telegram. Try weeping. You see, when you care about something enough that you're going to weep about it, that's when God moves into action. So we know that valleys are inevitable, that they're impartial, that they're unpredictable. And you've been through them in the past and you're likely going to go through them in the future. And we've learned a few of the many valleys that we can find in Scripture, valleys of failure, fear, conflict, dryness. But regardless of what valleys you go through, there, there, there's a few things that, that we should all be prepared for, a few things that we should all be ready to go to so that we can let God carry us, so that we can let God turn them back into God. And the first thing that I want you to remember, and this is probably the most important parts of this message, because we all know what valleys are, but I want you to take these words now into heart. From Psalm 23 that we just read about, the good shepherd that King David writes, remember that you are not alone. 
Remember that God is with you. I'm going to read Psalm 23, 4 again. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Man, that, that, that just brings comfort into my life. And there's three key words here that I want to talk to you about. And they are the words through, the words you, and the words shadow. Now, through basically means that the valley is temporary, that you don't stay in the valley, that you walk through it, that you're not going to live in the valleys your entire life because you're going through it. That's why it says, even though I walk through the valley, you're not staying there. That's really important for us this morning. Then the other word is you. He says, for you are with me. And I'm telling you, we entered into the presence of God this morning. It is Almighty God, the Redeemer, Sustainer, and Giver of all life. He is with you right now. Man, gloria a Dios. That's, we can go home now. But I have a few more things to say, so hold on. Now look at the word shadow. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, friends, sooner or later, we're all going to be faced with this valley of the shadow of death. It's going to cross our lives. My mom has passed away. My dad has passed away. And, and as a pastor, I've been, besides too many bedsides to count in, in the final moments of people's lives. And, and I've seen the valley of the shadow of death probably more than, than most of you here, unless you're a doctor or a nurse. But, but you know what I've learned about watching the valley of the shadow of death so many times? I've learned that shadows are actually a lot larger than they actually are. Have you guys ever noticed, I don't know, say the shadow of a truck, and then you, it's so much bigger than the actual truck? You know, shadows are often a lot bigger than the real thing. And what I've learned about those shadows, and I'm sure you have too, because we tell our kids all the time, they're shadows they can't hurt you. Shadows cannot hurt you. You know, shadows can become our fear. Maybe you or a family member or someone close to you fears death because they're afraid that they're, they don't know where they're going to go when they die. Fear is always greater. It's an image without substance. That's what a shadow is. But here's the coolest part about the shadows that I've learned as going through the study that I really want you guys to take home today. The coolest part about the shadows is that shadows cannot exist without a light. So the shadow in your life is the, catch it, it's the evidence of the presence of light in your life. So if you have light, that means you have God. That means that God, again, is with you. That's the only reason you have a shadow. So the way you deal with the shadows of death or the shadows of despair or the shadows of depression or the shadows of fear or whatever shadows, here's how you deal with that. You turn your back on the shadow and you focus on the light. And all of a sudden you notice that you're not going to see the shadow anymore. And every time you get afraid, you look at the light, the light of Jesus. You look at the cross and you remember that he says that I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What is the first thing that, you, that, that God said when he created the universe? You guys remember that? Let there be light. 
The Bible says that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So when you're scared of the shadows in your life, you just need to turn around and focus on the light. That means you stop focusing on that stuff that's scaring you to death. Stop focusing on all those fears, those worries, those stuff that you just kind of culminate and, and it stays in your mind and just goes over and over and over again. That means you take your mind off of that and you focus on the light of Jesus. And you look at that and all of a sudden you realize that those shadows can't hurt you. In fact, not only can't they hurt you, you won't even see them anymore. It's the first thing I want you to remember as you deal with your valleys. The second thing that I want you to remember is that God has a good purpose. And I know we know that well this morning. I know we all, uh, most of us know this, this famous verse from Jeremiah 29, 11 that talks about God having a plan for us. And it, it's widely quoted and it's a great verse and I love that verse. But you have to remember that God has a purpose for your valley not just a purpose for your life, but for the actual valley that you're going through. And you remember this whole chapter on Psalm 23 is about the goodness of God. It's about the good shepherd, that God is a good God. It is impossible for God to do evil. So remember that as we have problems that we're going through, that God has a good purpose for your valley. And in Romans, the apostle Paul in chapter 5, he says, we can even rejoice in our sufferings Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, which is something we all need. And that kind of hope, he says, does not disappoint us because God has poured his love into our hearts. Meaning that God is building character, and when we're going through that valley, that character is going to give us the hope to outlast it because hope is going to last everything else. Stephen Curtis Chapman, who is a well-known singer, a Christian singer, he has written a new book, and it's called Between Heaven and the Real World. And in it, he discusses all the valleys that he's been through, including the loss of a child, which I can even imagine. And he says this in an interview, Jesus tells us in this world you will have trouble, but then he says, take heart because I've overcome the world. He's saying that there's another story being told that we don't always see. Frankly, Stephen says, if I didn't believe that, then I'd be an extremely bitter and angry man. My little girl's death underlined and solidified what I knew and believed, but it made it more real. When there was nothing else to hold on to, I heard myself say, God, I'm going to trust you and worship you, and it's not because there's an audience watching. I'm going to bless your name whether you give or you take away. Wow. He goes on to say, previously, I'd gone 50 feet below sea level. I thought it was dark down there, but I also learned that God was with me now. I was pushed 100,000 feet below sea level after his uh, daughter's death, where it was darker than I could ever imagine. And I found the same thing was true. I remember I'm not alone. I remember that God has a good purpose for my valley. Hosea says that I will transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. That's another valley that you can find in the, in, in the Bible. It's the valley of trouble. It's also called the valley of Achor. It's covered twice in Joshua and, and here in Hosea. And God says, I will transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope, a doorway of hope. 
So you remember that you are not alone in your valley. You remember that God has a good purpose for your valley. And the third thing that I want you to remember this morning is that the reward is going to last forever. Meaning this is not the end of the story. That's where we can all take strength in knowing that, that no matter what we're going to, there's a perfect place that we're all going to. You're going to be rewarded for being faithful in those valleys, in the valleys of failure, in the valleys of fear, in the valley of conflict, in the valley of grief, of, of, of weeping, of brokenness, of trouble, all of these valleys that we're all going to face. Paul tells us that for our present troubles are quite small, meaning relative to eternity. Our present troubles are quite small and they won't last very long yet they are producing in us an eternal glory that will last forever and is greater than anything that we can imagine. Folks, until we get to heaven, we're going to face all kinds of valleys. And again, I know that's depressing, but we all know that to be true. But if you're a believer in Christ, if you're a Christian, your valleys can be different. Not because of the absence of shadow, but because of the presence of the Good Shepherd. He's here and now, listening to your heart, probably talking to your heart. He just wants to comfort you, take everything from you, whatever weight or burden that you're feeling this morning or have felt or are worried about in the future. He says, I am your God in that valley. I don't know what kind of valley you're going through. I imagine in a group this size, there's got to be somebody that's going through one of the, the deepest parts of that valley right now. But regardless of what that valley is, I just want to share with you a couple of things. That it doesn't, it, you don't have to stay in that valley. You can go through it. You can decide today to make the good shepherd and really take it to heart to make the good shepherd your shepherd. And I'm going to call the worship team up. And as they come up, I want to encourage you to do a couple of things this morning. If you're going through a valley this morning, you have a choice to make. You can respond, and I believe that God is even talking to you right now about that valley. Maybe it's not for you, maybe it's for a family member or a loved one. And I think you have a choice to, to, to make this morning, and I encourage you to make this choice, and that is to completely surrender it all once and for all to God himself, to your good shepherd, to the one who is here, to the one that has a good purpose for you, to the one who loves you more than anyone else can possibly love you. To do it once and for all and to just let that burden fall off of you and say, God, here is my burden. I encourage you to do that. And for those of you that are not going through a valley this morning, I encourage you to take this, this word to heart and plant it in your heart so you can recognize it so that when it does happen, you would act differently as a Christian as a believer, as someone whose hope is on something greater than yourself. And as we sing this next song, whether you sing it or whether you just want to contemplate on it or whether you just want to read the words, I want to read the, the, the words of the chorus so that you can believe those words as well. And the words of that chorus say, On the mountains I will bow my life to the one who set me there. In the valley I will lift my eyes. To the one who sees me there. When I'm standing on the mountain, didn't get there on my own. When I'm walking through the valley and 
No, I am not alone. You are the God of the hills and valleys, and I am not alone. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for your word, Father. Thank you for, no matter what, Father, that you are our God, you are our shepherd, you are our good God, and Lord, you, you love us in such a way that you're here. You promise that you're here right now. And yet, Lord, all of us are, are faced with the valleys of life, with the giants of life, Lord. And I just pray this morning that as people respond to you, Lord, that you would just take whatever burden they have and that you would just lift that weight and that burden off their shoulders, that they would walk out of these doors lighter as a result of leaving that burden here today, Father. So we symbolically just put it at your feet. We bring it to your throne. And Lord, we ask that you would carry it for us, Father, that you would prepare us to be a different people as a result of hearing your word this morning. Lord, and it's in the beautiful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.